0: Instead of lying in bed like a loser, what if I launched myself out of bed like a rocket? Maybe if I move fast enough, I might beat when all the self-doubt and all of the excuses come in. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. That was a million, over a million dollars lost.
1: Fail trying rather than fail watching.
0: So whatever's important to you, that's where you should put your money. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with
1: the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord and on the show today we have serial entrepreneur and bestselling author of The Five Second Rule, Mel Robbins, as she shares the story behind her powerful book, The Science Behind Anxiety, and How to Level Up at Any Moment. So what is so interesting and also a huge problem with Mel Robbins is that she's too good at what she does. She just gotten done speaking here. She's amazing at making people feel like they're the most important person, that she builds them up to be successful and everything else. Well, I got caught up in caught up into this. For me, as the interviewer, my job is just to set up that person who I'm interviewing to be successful. It's not about me. I may mention something like, hey, I'm a coach, and then ask that question, but that's just so that the people listening can say, oh, I'm a coach too, so this is important to me. But instead, I start off with a stupid story about myself. So I apologize for this. Mel is great. I'm terrible. Despite all that, I hope you enjoy this interview. So I used to have like a half-second, five-second rule. So when I was waking up, I could not get myself to wake up when I was in whatever, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. And we had a bed that was, my bed was like bolted to the ceiling, six feet off the ceiling or six feet off the ground. Okay. And because I'd wake up, I'd be so sluggish, I couldn't get going. So I said, okay, I'm going to put my alarm clock. And it was one of those big old alarm clocks that had the actual (laughs) bells that go. And I have a house full of people. And so my goal was, was to turn it off within a second. So it was on the floor and I would literally, there, I didn't have a ladder for my bed. I would literally roll out of bed and like fly down at it and wake up as I'm going down and hit it. And I could usually get it done within just ding, 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 and get it down. And so I would just train myself to wake up like the fastest way possible. Why, did
0: you ever claw back up to bed though? No. No?
1: No, never you, did. You know,
0: when you, when you said Brian Lord, I had this, this vision because your name is like superhero name, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't, maybe evil villain, I don't know. But, but you are of wearing you, all
1: black right the now. So the of you
0: jumping off and leaping, I immediately had a cape in my mind as you're like, <laughs> hey, Brian Lord. Okay. Well,
1: you know they have every time now. I should have done that. I didn't know it existed hmm. back then, but you know they have the hero stance. Like every single hero movie, they've got like one hand down and down on a knee and the other one sticking out. And that's that's the hero stance for everything, if you would, you, you sleep
0: watched, like that so you could no, launch yourself out of bed.
1: Yeah, I should have if I would have <laughs> known at the time. But if, whenever I hear the five second rule, I'm like, I had to do it like a half second rule because that you was always my
0: having to beat fly me. Fly out see. of bed, yeah. even
1: long before I knew Mel Robbins, 13 year old Brian Lord. That's super awesome. with superhero name, apparently. Thanks, mom, <laughs> for uh, naming me that. So, anyway, so the five second rule I know it's hard to do. You do this in a 60 minute speech. Do you have like a nutshell version of the famous Mel Robbins? Five-second rule.
0: Yeah, if you drop food on the floor, you've got five seconds to pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I'm just kidding. Mel thought of that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Back in the day. Um, it was more like the 200 second rule in my house, actually, with food (laughs) coming from a long agriculture family, you don't waste anything. I don't care what's on the floor. No, the the five second rule, funny that your story is about the same thing, was something I invented 10 years ago to beat my habit of hitting the snooze button and actually force myself to wake up on time. And it was just uh, this epiphany that I had one day that, boy, instead of lying in bed like a loser... And thinking negative thoughts, what if I launched myself out of bed like a rocket? Maybe if I move fast enough, I might be able to beat that window when all the self doubt and all of the excuses come in. And so, literally, as dumb as it sounds, one morning 10 years ago, I went 54321 when the alarm rang, and suddenly I was standing up. And then using it to get out of bed every morning, I noticed this window, this, this, gap in time between the things you know you need to do and the excuses that stop you. And that window's about five seconds. And so the five second rule is a tool that you can use as as simple as it sounds. It's a tool that you can use to beat any single excuse that stops you. Because you'll be in a situation all day long where stuff is happening to you. You're at work and you're sitting in a meeting and you have an idea and you know that you should speak up, but then you'll start thinking about speaking up. And within five seconds, you will have talked yourself out of it. Oh, the meeting's been going on too long. This idea now sounds dumb. What if they roll their eyes? They never listen to me anyway. What if it sounds stupid? Boom, you're not talking. And so there's this window of time for all of us between the instincts that change our lives, that make us show up, that prompt us to act with courage and confidence and you talking yourself out of it. And so you can use the countdown technique, five, four, three, two, one, to actually close the gap and push yourself to change, to show up, to act with confidence, to take a risk, to be more visible, to do the stuff that's irritating that normally you wouldn't. It's super, super, super cool.
1: Where were you in your life when you came up with this?
0: Disaster, (laughs) circling the drain. Um, I was a bitchy drunk. Can I use that word on this podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a grown-up podcast.
0: Okay, bleep it out. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I I, um, I was 41, and I was in a spot that I never thought I would be in at 41, and that is, um, I had a drinking problem. My husband's restaurant business was going under. I was unemployed, and we were losing everything, and I was also losing my mind. Truly. I had no confidence. I was convinced that there was nothing I could do to save my marriage, nothing I could do to save our financial situation. And um, my train wreck of a life began every morning when the alarm would go off and I would lay there and think about all the problems that Chris and I were facing. And I would literally hit the snooze button three or four times in a row. And I think when you're successful, because I had been successful in previous years it, it really crushes you when you hit that wall that so many of us hit and you have a major failure and you start to convince yourself that things aren't fair and that this shouldn't be happening. And just when you need motivation, it's not there. And when you need the confidence to push yourself beyond your excuses, it's not there. And that's the space that I was in. And um, had I not discovered the five second rule and the ability to actually make five second decisions and not listen to my excuses, I'd probably be divorced and bankrupt and bitter and who knows what I'd be doing for a living.
1: What, uh, and how did that apply sort of as you were moving on from there? I know you've talked a little bit about how, the uh, application for that, what did you decide to do, you know, from that point on?
0: Well, so I first stumbled upon this thing by accident, right? To beat the snooze button habit and to get up on time. But there's something interesting about the alarm clock. So let's use the alarm clock as a metaphor for something that happens all day long to all of us. And the alarm clock ringing is a great metaphor for those moments during the day when you know you should do something, whether it's make a cold call or have a tough conversation or send that email or get to the gym or put down the drink or adjust your tone and be a little kinder, or not speak in a meeting because you dominate the meeting, whatever it may be. All day long, there's these alarms ringing inside of you that signal you, this is a moment to act. And you have got five seconds to move, or you will literally talk yourself out of it. So this little technique that I created to five, four, three, two, one, push myself through my excuses and get out of bed, is the exact same tool I use to five, four, three, two, one, speak up in a meeting, five, four, three, two, one, say no to a deal that makes no sense, five, four, three, two, one, uh, adjust my business in directions that energize me, even though it's a risk, five, four, three, two, one, adjust my tone, five, four, three, two, one, stop at one Manhattan, which is actually difficult to do. Um, and (laughs) So uh, I started using it for everything because here's the deal, changing anything is the same process. You have to make a different decision than what you normally make. You have to interrupt your automatic behaviors, and so nine years later, I still five four three one to get out of bed because I hate getting out of bed. I still use five four three one to get to the gym because I hate to exercise. I still use five four three two one to stop ordering a second drink because I'm great on one Manhattan. A second or a third one, and we're careening into not a good zone. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, And the other thing that's super cool is as as an entrepreneur, as my business grows, it always requires me to level up. And whenever you level up any habit, any behavior, you're going to be outside your comfort zone. So I'm constantly using it to push myself to level up, to push myself to tweak my habits, to push myself to do things that I don't feel comfortable doing because of the goals that I have and the values that I have.
1: Now, you just spoke for us a few minutes ago uh-huh. at, here at Premiere, which is amazing to hear to have our whole staff hear you. Um, one of the things you talked about is how this and some other things work for people that have a lot of fear and anxiety. Uh-huh. What advice would you have for someone saying, okay, how do I deal with this?
0: So if you're somebody that suffers from anxiety, and I know that battle well because I struggled with anxiety for 25 years of my life, I was on Zoloft, which was a miracle drug for me. The thing to understand about anxiety is that there's a deep connection between your worries, your body state, and anxiety and panic. So let me explain. So worrying is nothing more than the habit of thinking negative thoughts. That's all the worrying is. You're thinking what if, and you're typically thinking what if in a way that is negative. That's what a worry is. And believe it or not, it's a habit. So We were all trained to worry by our parents. We are triggered to worry when there's uncertainty. It is a habit that we all have. And it is the baby to anxiety. Anxiety is the big sister. So anxiety is nothing more than when your body is agitated. That's it. That's all that anxiety is. Your heart races, your stomach twists up in knots, your armpits sweat. And so worrying is the mental negative state. Anxiety is an agitated physical state. And when you get into an agitated physical state and you allow yourself to worry, your worries actually increase the physical agitation. And so it starts with worrying. And then as you worry, your body starts to get a little nervous because your worrying is making your body kind of tune in and get alert. And so it's coming agitated to pay attention because your thoughts have made it trigger to think that something might be wrong. So now we're gonna go into a state where we gotta pay attention. And then as your body starts to get agitated, guess what happens to your mind? Your mind goes, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, my body's agitated and I caused it, Uh uh-oh. And as your thoughts start to spiral, What will happen is the agitation rises. And when the agitation in your body rises to such a state that your brain gets worried, your brain will then have a panic attack. And the panic attack is designed to get you out of whatever room you're in. Because you have now gotten yourself so worked up that you've convinced your own mind that you're in physical trouble. So if you ever see somebody having a panic attack, they're either saying, I gotta get out of here. Oh my God. And they're darting around like some weirdo, you know, deer in the headlights, or they're saying, I think I'm having a heart attack. That is your brain, alarmed that you've worked yourself up into such a state. So for people that struggle with anxiety, it is real. You should see a a therapist and a licensed professional. And here's the other thing, it's not a disease. It's a habit dysfunction that you can treat and you can get better. And it starts with policing your worries. You want to win in life. Life is about a positive attitude and execution. And a positive attitude only comes when you are unwilling to let your thoughts drift to something that doesn't serve you. And so you can use five, four, three, two, one to start the process of retraining your mind. Nope, we don't think about that because it's not serving me, not gonna do it. And so if you can break the habit of worrying and get control of your thoughts, you will completely transform how much you're afraid you will cut off anxiety at its knees. It all starts with the habit of worrying.
1: A lot of people, you know, listening to this too are parents or coaches. So I've got four kids. I coach kids softball. Oh, awesome! And and you talk, uh, you know, also about how we as parents or coaches or leaders for younger people can apply this, uh, yes. what what advice would you have for people in that position?
0: So if you're noticing as a parent or a coach or a teacher or just you've got you know kids that you mentor, an uptick in the level of anxiety and nervousness that kids have, you're right. It is documented that anxiety is on the rise. social media certainly isn't helping, neither is the pressure that we put on our kids, um, but anxiety is on the rise in kids. And so there's a couple things to understand. Um, first of all, don't ever tell a kid that's anxious to calm down because it actually makes it worse. And the reason why it makes it worse is because if somebody's anxious or worried, their body's typically already agitated and it's next to impossible to go from a hundred miles an hour to zero. And so when you tell a kid, calm down, calm down, as a parent, you're doing two things. You're saying, what you're worried about doesn't matter to me. So you've just invalidated them. So now they're like, screw you. I'm not going to talk to you anymore, mom or dad, because you don't get it. (laughs) And the second thing is you've just actually made the anxiety worse because they can't calm down. And so the best thing to do if your kid's already worried about whatever is just pepper them with questions like a defense attorney. What's going on in your body? What are you worried about? Now what's going on in your body? What, tell me about your stomach. Tell me about your heart race. Why are you worried about that? Great, great, great. What else, what else are you concerned about? Anything else, anything else, anything else, anything else. And by talking to you, they will get the focus off of being scared about why they're worried and they'll put their focus on talking and their body state will slowly come down. Um, Another really important thing to teach your kids is that when they're nervous about something, that's normal, right? So being nervous as you're coaching and you're in a game and the stakes are high, that's normal. And in fact, the reason why you're nervous is your body knows you're about to go do a sport and it knows it needs to be paying attention. So that stomach, the reason why our stomachs twist up before we speak, do you know the reason why?
1: Uh, Sort of a defense mechanism to get you ready to move.
0: Yes, in fact, what's happening is If you're about to give a speech, if you're about to play sports and you're about to move, all the blood goes away from your digestive system and pulls to your primary organs so that you can be ready to go. And that's why your stomach churns because we've changed the chemistry of it. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're gonna perform well. It's literally your body getting ready to pay attention. That's all that it is. And it's perfectly normal. If you tell kids, before a standardized test, before a, a, a sporting event, before anything that they're getting, a sleepover, anything that they're getting wigged out of, asking somebody to prom, you got to have these big prom promposals, you know. Whatever. <laughs> um, oh, uh, we, we've got kids that are college age. I mean, going through the process of applying to college and facing that rejection and all of that uncertainty about what's about to happen to you. Teach your kids to say when they're nervous, I'm excited, I'm excited to take this test. I just did this with my 17 year old in ACTs. I'm excited to take this test, I'm excited to take this test. What happens is the nervousness is normal, but if you don't give your kids the ability to control what they're thinking about, their worrying will escalate the nerves into anxiety. And that will send cortisol to the brain and it will impact their ability to focus. If you tell your kid, I'm excited to take the ACTs, look, I know you're not excited, but just trust me and say this stupid thing, okay? I'm excited to take the ACTs, I'm excited. No, I'm not, yes, you are. I'm excited to take the ACTs. I'm excited to take the ACTs. You, your thoughts stay positive so your body state doesn't escalate and no cortisol floods to your brain. Cortisol interferes with your prefrontal cortex's ability to focus and process information. So it's not nerves that screw you up on a test. It's the fact that you escalated it and you sent cortisol to your brain and that's what actually was the problem. So when you teach kids, and this is research from the Harvard Medical School, to say I'm excited before they're about to do something that makes them nervous, in study after study they perform better. Works for adults too.
1: Now you're part of sort of a switching gears a little bit. You're part of a kind of a famous mastermind group of all these different top speakers. <laughs> I, and, yes. And, uh, I'm not you know, telling like, our secrets. Like Josh, like, well, I, it's uh, Josh Linkner or Peter Sheehan or that sort of people. What, what's the importance for you sort of being in that group? So Josh, Peter had been on the podcast. Before. Okay. A little shameless plug for us. Um, uh, but then also, um, you know, what has that meant for you? And then also what advice would you have for people on getting into a group with successful people?
0: Well, um, Again, going back to this analogy of leveling up and, you know, you're, you can start a new chapter in your, your career or your personal life at any moment. You just make a decision that you're going to up your own game and nothing ups your own game than been by, than by being around people that are ahead of you or, doing a slightly different lane than you, because they bring tangential ideas to what you're doing. And so being in a mastermind group with extraordinarily well-respected and successful speakers has been absolutely incredible for me because number one, speaking is very lonely. Uh, You're out there on your own. I don't travel alone anymore, not because I'm a diva, but because I was getting depressed. And I'm an extrovert that's energized by people. And I found that when I left the stage, I was horribly depressed, not because I wasn't on stage, but because I was alone in a hotel room, I was missing my family. So part of my mental health has been to uh, pay to have somebody travel with me that works for us. Um, It also helps me stay productive on the road. The second reason why it's been great to be in a mastermind group is when you're on a stage and and you're good and people clap or even clap out of pity, Like it inflates (laughs) your ego. And so you can quickly lose sight of the impact and the responsibility that comes with having the honor of being invited and paid to speak at other people's events. And there is something about talking to other people in the business that will keep you grounded and that will remind you that at the end of the day, it's a relationship business, and it's not about what you do on the stage. It's actually about how you treat people and how you make people feel, and it's the littlest things, right, that make that difference. Texting somebody when you land so that the event planner knows that you've made it and you're one less thing they can worry about. Stage selfies so that, you know, the people feel acknowledged and like a rock star when they... Uh, they introduce you texting the agents that book you as soon as the event is over and letting them know that you didn't screw things up and that actually there might be some spin business there like just the basic be a decent human being great with the av team you know don't be a diva about this stuff so having a mastermind group you constantly are reminded of your blind spots you learn best practices you get creative ideas, and it keeps your ego in check. All of which is super critical, I think, if you're going to be successful.
1: One of the things also that's coming up that's very exciting for you, I'd, I'd love for you to tell the story of of how you were so upset that your book didn't go number one, <laughs> and okay. and and also what that led to. That releases, uh, you know, for yeah. releasing this podcast right yeah. when you're what what's releasing right now simultaneously with this. You know podcast the, the
0: one the one thing that constantly is in my face. And we all know this to be true because we're on Instagram. And that is you have to trust your gut, right? And it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Mm-hmm. And every time I go against myself, I literally shoot myself in the foot. And every time through mistake, foible, whatever, no, no other choice, I actually stick with the plan that was in my heart. I am magically rewarded. And so what happened with the book, we wrote the five second rule book um, because the honestly, the in, I hate writing. I'm dyslexic. It's like the hardest thing on the planet for me to do. So I did not want to write a book. I'm like, can't we just do a blog post and call it a day? I mean, the speaking <laughs> thing's amazing. Um, so I dictated the book. And uh, then edited it after it was transcribed, which was much easier than writing. And it was a really personal thing for me to do this because it's a personal story. It has gone viral organically. It's changing people's lives. I really wanted people that got the book to um, be able to be inspired and to use the rule and understand the science. So I poured my heart and soul into it. And I also was desperate. I'm just gonna say it. I was desperate to be on the New York Times. Why? Well, because I come from Dartmouth College and Boston College Law School and CNN and the land of credentials. And, oh, I can one-up you with this degree and that degree. And I live in the Northeast and, you know, everybody's (laughs) more educated than the other. And so for some reason, I got my knickers in a pinch, like I have to be a New York Times bestseller. And we also know that you can buy your way there and people do it all the time. And I was Hell bent that I am not buying my way there. I'm gonna do this the, the real way, which means schlep books all over the place. Try to pre-sell them to everybody, discount every speech you possibly can to get people to buy a thousand books. You play the game to get as many pre-orders done. And so I find out a month before the book is coming, I said to my, I said to my this this literary agent that I had been working with, even though I self-published, that was kind of stupid. But I I um I said to her, There's only two people I don't want to publish a book on the same day. Tony Robbins and Brene Brown. Like I just can't, okay? Not even going to try to compete with that that rocket ship. And so a month before the book is going on sale, I'm standing in my kitchen and Success Magazine, which is a magazine I'm a contributing editor for, which means I write a free article every month, okay? That's what that <laughs> means. But I'm on the, 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 the masthead for crying out loud. The magazine arrives and it's Tony Robbins on the cover. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what he's promoting. I flip open the the magazine I write for, and I learn in that magazine that he has moved his book launch date up six months to release on the exact same day as me. <laughs> so I, should I hold course? Should I not? What should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? We've put it all into the 20, what do I do? Oh my gosh. So I kind of decide, well, we kind of just have to stay the course. What, I'll just be number two. That's fine. So the book releases... Nobody bothered to tell me in all these conversations that when you self-publish, you don't make the New York Times list. You can sell a million books. They're not going to put you on the list because the list is for people that have a traditional publishing deal. I did not know this. <laughs> so I, we sell an extraordinary number of books. According to BookScan, we were the second most sold book that week, legit. And we had no distribution in bookstores because it was self-published. So we sold out of Amazon and Barnes & Noble and the indie sites day one, which meant we had no more books left, which meant the only thing that people could find was the audiobook. So a week goes by and the New York Times list comes out and we were in the Phoenix airport and I'm walking with my business partner, Mandy, and all of a sudden I see her take her phone and haul it across baggage claim. And I look at her and I <laughs> say, Mandy, what, what, what's going on? And she said, we didn't make the list. And I literally take my suitcase and I walk over to the lady's room and I walk in silently and I shut the stall door and I sit down on the toilet with my pants on and I start crying. And I sat in there for 10 minutes and everywhere we went, because of course it was book launch week, so we did seven speeches in eight days. Every airport, every bookstore, Tony Robbins was everywhere. And I would go to bed every night and I would say, God, why are you doing this to me? Like I I worked so hard, people's lives are changing. This is a book about money that he's written. Please, why, 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 why? Well, here's why. For three weeks, the only thing you could get was the audiobook. It became the number one book on Audible, which meant it was on the first page. Amazon owns Audible, so it's part of the algorithm of everything. In Amazon. And because we were number one on Audible, we stayed on the top 10 most read books on all of Amazon all year long. And so the audiobook and the algorithm tied to Amazon drove sales. I mean, we're approaching nearly a million copies. We've been translated in 31 languages. It was the number one audiobook in the world last year. And that never would have happened had I done a traditional publishing deal because there would have been distribution, so there wouldn't have been pent-up demand. It never would have happened um, with a traditional publishing deal either because we recorded the book and then uploaded it ourselves to ACX, which is Amazon's publishing platform, which means we own 40% of everything. And um, it's been this incredible gift, not only financially, but more importantly, it's so eye-opening to see what a six-hour audio file can do in terms of a product which costs you nothing to make, once you make it. You don't have storage costs, you don't have shipping costs, you don't have return, like nothing, nothing. It's one and done. And so it's opened my eyes up to all the potential uh, products and content syndication, and it led to Amazon coming to us and asking us if we would do an advice show for them, exclusive to them and Audible, um, based on the five-second rule book. And so that's what we're doing, it launches in May.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the I-N-G was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of d and Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the Muy Profundo, Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO, Sean hanks and cio chris young simply because you need to thank powerful people if you've listened this far you clearly have nothing better to do so why not continue on and listen to the next beyond speaking podcast